right. Here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome Science back. in between. Here we are. That is on. That excited <laughs> person over there is Ollie, and this is Scott. I don't yeah. know what, what somebody put in Ollie's coffee this morning, but he is coming in hot. I'm coming in hot. It is great. I'm so happy to be here and with you, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> well, now, say? that was much less convincing. The no, coming in hot I, thing was, was great, but that would look more like you were reading well, off a cue card. I was trying to card. dial it down a little bit for you because I, I don't know if you, yeah, I don't know if you can handle this. You can't handle all this energy. No, I can't. That is a lot of energy. Yeah, but maybe, is... you, maybe you want to tell the people what we're talking about and why you're oh. so full of beans today. Well, I don't know if I'm particularly excited about the topic. I mean, I'm oh. excited about all our topics. I'm Always. just excited to, you know, to spend some time with you, Scott. Spend, and some, spend some time, time with, together. Spend some quality time with our, our listeners. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. what I'm excited about. Me I'm too. excited about the opportunity. Mm. So today we're talking about uh, culturally responsive and sustaining education, specifically as it relates to science. Ed, um, well, wait you should you should start by saying why you framed it that with those specific words because sure. there's a lot of word soup in this area. There so is. Go, yes, go, I want you to say that first. All right. Yeah. Well, that was part of the setup. You just cut, you know, I just stepped on it. He stepped on it. It's all Sorry. good. Okay. That's 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 on brand for the show, right? It is. <laughs> it is. Indeed. So we're in interesting times in Pennsylvania um, because um, as as our administration was changing, we just, you know changed governors from one governor to another. It, this last year was a very productive year for the governor, uh, the a- outgoing governor, right? He's very productive. Got a lot accomplished in his last year. Um, besides at, you know, getting new science standards approved, um, he also got new competencies, uh, approved for, uh, teacher education. So what, what, for those of you who don't work in teacher education, the way that this works is we prepare teachers based on competencies that the state delivers. So if it says, Hey, you have to know how to teach this way or this content or whatever, we as teacher education programs will design our programs to match those competencies. If it's not in the competencies, we usually don't include it in our curriculum because there's just so much to teach. Um, Pennsylvania uh, had three new competency areas that were released last year that um, we as institutions that um, prepare teachers have until 2024 to incorporate into our, uh, our curriculum. One's around structured literacy. That's like the whole phonics thing. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's a uh, another set of standards related to ethics. Surprisingly, there were no ethics competencies. I mean, I mean, why eh. do you need ethics? You're just—it's not like you're working with people when you teach, right? And there's there's no you know d- divisions of power, right? There's no. nothing there. Nah, no, it's, all, so, it's a flat hierarchy, right? And everybody who goes into education, they're the most ethical people in the world. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. true. We, that's true. those are the only people we let into the program. Absolutely. Well, and, and you know, and they have to take clearances. They have to get their clearances. So oh, that's a good point. So they have no yeah. criminal record, at least. No, they they have no past. <laughs> no criminal past. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean they won't commit things in the future. However, no, no criminal past where they were caught doing something. <laughs> right. We digress <laughs> a little. <laughs> Yes. So there's those two. And the third set of standards, competencies, are uh, related to culturally responsive and sustaining education. This is the, you know, the these are standards for teaching in more inclusive ways um, to try to be really 
respectful and mindful of the cultures of which students come from and the ways we as educators um, include them or maybe disinclude them. Is that a word? Disclude? Disinclude? Sure. You know, exclude? Exclude? You could you could use that word, but you, Un- uh, you know. I would say unconsciously exclude them. You know, because some of this is, you know, confronting our own biases as teachers and recognizing that things like microaggressions exist, you know, and that sometimes when we say, oh, you know, you know well, I'm not going to go through, you know, examples of microaggressions, um, but but there are these set of competencies that were released. Um, and so there's that part that's going and, you know, coming back to the professional development we're doing um, with uh, with the state around the new science standards, one of the aspects that we're charged with doing is helping people understand how they, how you can do this in the, the science classroom. Right. And so um, we actually have a session coming up uh, in which we're going to be doing this kind of work. And I was like, well, you know, we have all this, um, these sort of like intersecting competency standards, culturally responsive and sustaining education. You know, I, I, I like the, um, you know, that culturally responsive thing that terminology has changed a bunch over the years because mm-hmm. it used to be culturally relevant yeah. right and then it became culturally re- responsive mm-hmm. but i think that that adding that sustaining education means that we're not trying to change their culture we're just trying to be responsive and, and respectful of it and incorporating it in our classroom we're not trying to like you know dilute it or you know get it out of them right we're trying to like you know be responsive respectful the fact that people come from different cultures and they're assets to our classroom that's the important shift you know mm-hmm. they're not it's not a deficit like mm-hmm. oh oh you come from whatever background that means that you're not going to do well in science or whatever you know that's not that this is an asset based mind mindset mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and i think that's you know i i guess the the, the thing when we're going to do this presentation I, um, with with folks, this professional development, I think one of the things we want to frame it with is is how much the the demographics of our, our country has changed over you know over the years, mm-hmm. and like one of the big areas is just like the how multilingual our 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 schools are becoming, mm-hmm. you know, because language yeah. is one of them. Language is absolutely one of them. Right. I mean, and so we have folks like, you know, some of the statistics we have for, you know, this for states like right now in California, 28 percent of uh, of the population are multilingual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I think the tricky thing about all of this, um, well, one is, yes, the demographics of our country are changing, but they're changing in pockets, right? Mm-hmm. Like central Pennsylvania, if you look within 100 miles of here, where I sit, um, the demographics haven't changed that much. And in some places haven't changed at all. So uh, and and that's not to negate what you're talking about. Right. I just think it's it's a complicated thing. and And I think when you tie it to specific attributes like that when you say like oh it's about race or it's about sure language or it's about whatever um the the disadvantage to that is then people who don't teach in those kinds of environments where those demographics are changing say hey i don't need to worry about this like all my kids are white like and they all speak english as their first language what it is why am i worried about this you're right because i mean that's that's a good point i mean because it's not just about you know, 
multilingual. It's about respecting all culture and respecting all the assets that people bring to classrooms. And some of it is, you know, really, you know, some of it's explicit. Like you could see, so you can interact with somebody who may not speak the same language as you, but then there are other things that may not be as, as explicit. Right. And you have sure. to be right. We have to be open and respectful to all of that and, and, and responsive to all of it. You're right. Well, that's, and also that's a, recognize that's a good point. Yeah. That's well, good and point. also recognizing that people are not representative of their group like this is a thing that that we've had to struggle with i think as we deal with race like all black people are not the same all white people are not the same all people with disabilities um are differently able people are not the same right so so if we and and by not the same i mean not culturally the same so when we're talking about culture we're talking about like how do we bring in the individual assets of the kids that are in our classroom in a way that shows them that we respect and encourage them to bring those pieces of themselves to the classroom because they're valuable assets, as you said. So I think that's, for me, that's the key piece is if it gets too tied to specific identity markers, then it it derails us a little in terms of thinking about um, success, student success. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just looking, I'm, got, I'm got looking yeah, through that. you're looking uh, at the at the competencies, right? Yeah. And, but I mean, the competencies are pretty explicit in saying, hey, you have to, like, I mean, here's one. It says, understand the importance of social markers such as race, skin color, ethnicity, gender identity, age, nationality, yeah. lang- language, class, economic status, ability, sexual orientation, and religion. It's like, boom, all of yeah. it, right? There, sure. it's right. So they're saying, here are all the markers, right? All this, right? But they're also I, listing a really big list of markers, right? They're right, not, yeah. yeah, they're not just saying like, oh, yeah, this is about race and language. It's like, well, race and language are key sure. things, but um, but there's also this other stuff too. Yeah, there's all these other things, and and, and I don't yeah. know if that that list is probably going to change, right? There's other stuff too. I can't, I don't know what. Yeah, I mean, it's clearly not an exhaustive list, and I think interesting if you look at the list, like some of those things are you know, individuals have more control over than others. Right. So I think that's the other thing too, is, is the differences about that stuff. But, um, and even, yeah, well, we don't, we don't need to get into the complexities of this, but, but I think it's worth talking about the competencies. I will say one of the thing that I find a little frustrating about these competencies and in fairness, all the competencies from the department of education is they are, they're if we're going to put them in context of the stuff that we talk about all the time, they're almost the opposite of NGSS in the sense that this is not about big ideas. This is about a laundry list of individual little pieces right. that you have to know. So we've been doing some work with the competencies at Penn State and, and we're developing this new program. And there's 185 competencies or something that that's that teachers have to meet to I think it's something like that it's close to 200 and this adds I don't know how many more not to mention oh. the the science of reading ones and the so we're talking about 250 maybe 300 competencies now that kids are graduating from our programs we've got to say specifically where that thing is done in our program and I think that you know is is not good I think not that I think these things I think paying attention to to culturally responsive and sustaining education. I think that is important. I think doing it this way is a little bit backward um, in, in the idea of like listing bulleted, you know, each competency has what five or six or uh, yeah, more. Uh, yeah. Some, some, yeah. Some have a bunch, you know, like, yeah, there's, 
uh, let's six for that one, six for this one. Yeah, all of them have like five or six or five more. or six. Yeah, yeah, seven. And some, yeah, and and the other part about it is that it's uh, some of it like their their competencies are designed to be measurable, right, mm-hmm. and observable, mm-hmm. and. You know, so that when we can say this is something that we can say, this person has met this competency. Like it's kind of like like a like a I don't know, like a Boy Scout badge, right? Yeah. Oh, you've got you've demonstrated a competency for building a fire or putting up a shelter or whatever. Right. Yes, but how do you like how do you measure, observe belief? Like one of the competencies is yeah. believe that dot dot dot. One is honor dot dot dot. Right. I'm like. How the heck are we supposed to – now, I'm not knocking no. – I think it's important stuff. It's, it's absolutely a, important stuff. I'm not saying that at all. No, no, no. Um, what but there's I am, a difference between having that as a goal and, as you said, having it as a measurable thing. And just because yes. you state it as a goal doesn't make it measurable. Right. And, and, and yeah, I, I wish that they were uh, better worded. Yeah, I mean, so – my take on that at least is like I don't think better wording is going to solve that problem. I think the fundamental problem is the premise of measurable in the way that they're talking about measurable, right? So this goes back to this, you know, we had a conversation the other day about norms. We were wondering if we need better norms in our department in our department meetings. And we were saying this person who had just done a session set up norms and like put norms up on the board and 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 then what we were talking about is like a list of rules is not norms. Like right. that's not how that works. Like norms get established by the way that you behave and practice with the other human beings that are in that whatever community that the norms are being set in. So the way that that happens is the interactions. I mean, this is, we talk about this in so many ways about practice, right? Practice, <laughs> practice. That's what I'm talking about. But, but this idea that like, okay, we can make this list of bulleted things, but that's not, that doesn't really change anything because especially when they're they're super difficult to interpret in terms of direct observation and they're just a they're just this huge laundry list so you end up saying like oh yeah we did that like we did a thing about identifying literature and professional learning opportunities for themselves to understand more about the manifestations of racism and other bias at institutional instructional levels that can result in disadvantaging some groups of learners, educators, educational leaders, and families while privileging others. <gasps> right? Like, come on, man. Like, for those, is... who, those of you who are wondering, he, it, Scott is reading a specific standard. CRSE 2.C. Yes. If you'd like to know. Just rolls off the tongue, right I, and there. and I gotta say, I pretty well crushed reading it. But but you know these, I don't I don't know about how helpful these are. So I understand why states and agencies and institutions do this kind of thing because they feel like this is their job is to spell out these things yeah. in this level of detail. Um, but I also think this. Having this list does not change the way teachers teach. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think what it what it's trying to do is raise awareness, and it seems like that's a pretty um, low goal with these big. I mean, I think the intent. No, let me say this: the intent is to change practice. However, what's going to happen is it's just going to raise awareness. And and uh, there's going to I, I just don't know how this is going to 
I mean, schools of education are going to do this. They're going to imp- yeah, implement it. But this is also for practicing teachers too. So there's supposed to be yeah. professional development around this in schools. And it's like, okay, yeah, I think that's going to be a heavy lift for some places, you yeah. know? Well, and, yeah. and when you when you specified at this level of detail, it leads to superficial implementation, right? Right. Because, because then, you know, again, if, if I've got 185 other competencies I've got to reach, and I've got, what is this, six times, you know, this is like another 40-ish, 40 to 50, I don't know. There's, there's what do we say? There's eight. Eight. There's probably eight another nine. Nine. There's so nine so another 50 to 60. Yeah, another 50 to 60 on top of that, not to mention the reading, the science of reading ones that are coming in. The, si- uh, all the, the, the science of reading ones are like, they're yeah. massive. They're huge. They're, that's like a 27-page document, yeah. you know? And so that's crazy, yeah. right? I mean, so if you have, like, I don't care how many courses you teach. If you have 350 competencies that you're trying to meet, you're going to do that. If you're re- if you're really going to try and do it, you're going to end up doing it very superficially because there's no way not to because you're trying to cover. You know, again, the analogy is so clear to me between the old standards and the new NGSS standards. What they tried to do, like they tried to pair it back and say, what are the big ideas? Like, what are the most important, high yeah. leverage, important things for students to know? And I really think. And I think they've they have those potentially at the high level of the naming the competencies, but then they can't help themselves in bulleting these lists underneath. So okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh agree, but I'm also no, I'm gonna agree with you, but I'm also (laughs) gonna say like or and but or whatever. Yeah. So yes, these standards are very laundry listy, right? Mm -hmm. In in this. But if you look at any standards, any professional organization and their standards documents, like I'll, I'll take ISTE. We, we're, we've been talking about you know science ed and how the science ed standards have gone to these big ideas rather than a list of specifics. Well, they started out as list of specifics. If you go back, you know, a couple generations in terms of initial ones, they were laundry listy. But as the now we've shifted from the laundry list to having these bigger global ideas, right? But that's not just. In science, that's in other fields too. So let's take sure, technology education. So ISTE is the International Society for Technology and Education. And ISTE has published uh, technology and education standards for the last three decades. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at the original ones, um, which I have someplace on my computer, they're very laundry listy. And talking about the, how laundry listy they are, they're like, we'll know how to make a spreadsheet. We'll know mm-hmm. how to create a Word document. We'll know how to troubleshoot a computer, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff, that level of specificity, which is like so in the weeds. It is so in the weeds. Yeah. But if you look at them now, the newest ones that came out, I don't know, maybe about seven, eight years ago, they're very global. They're like really – they're more about um, ways of – I wouldn't even say skills. Ways of knowing, ways of being, mm-hmm. ways of participating, right? Mm-hmm. Like we want to have empowered learners. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's a way of being. That's a – that's promoting participation, right, mm-hmm. and action. Um it's not saying what that actually means to be an empowered learner in terms of the technologies you need to use, but it does say this, this is what we're trying to engender. This is what we're trying to. And so maybe, maybe these initial competencies are intended 
or will, you know, get more, I don't know, global. I doubt that's going to happen. However, well, they also could have just learned from all the other groups that have done that and not done it from the beginning. Like there's nothing inherent that says you have to start with a laundry list to get to those more big ideas. Right. I mean, they named some of the big ideas and I think we should talk about some of them specifically too, but, but I do think, you know, one of my, one of my fundamental, um, beliefs, I guess, about this is that if you if you think that the articulation of something in a very specific way means that it will be universally taken up by everybody who reads that articulation, then I think that's that's a fundamental problem because that's just incorrect and it's not the way humans operate, right? Like language is not at that level of clarity and specificity. So if you say these things right. and assume that what you meant is is going to be exactly what people do, well that's in that's insane. And so the solution that they 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 try to solve that problem with is by highly articulating very right. specific things, but all that does on some level is make it worse. They just don't yeah. understand that it makes it worse. So um, because now people just will superficially do those things, but they're still misinterpreting them. They're still not doing the thing that you want to do just because you articulate it with lots of sub bullet points. Right. It's More just words doesn't yeah. add clarity. No. Right. right. It, exactly. Yeah. And and ever thinking that and even, you know, empowered learners like that, that's open to a lot of interpretation, too. Sure. And that's OK. I mean, I, I, I mean, you can't. You can't utter things. You can't articulate things without it being open to interpretation. But I think when you try to solve the problem of interpretation by throwing more words at it, that's where you, I think it just doesn't help. So just to point out to somebody who's listening, yes, the two old white guys are are are, are totally critiquing the standards, the CRC standards. <laughs> well, I'm not critiquing the content of the standards <laughs> no, at all. I know. I, I, know. Think, I, think I was it's just incredible that they tried to do it. I just wish no, they do I, it in I a different way. No, I think we're both way. on like yeah, I I think it's an important step to take. I I'm yeah, I'm with you in that we're critiquing not the substance but the presentation, yeah. right? I think we need to incorporate these competencies. I think uh, making sure that they're incorporated into teacher education programs um, is is critical. I think it's going to set off a some really important conversations in some institutions sure. that are are going to have to like really confront some of their biases in inside or what their you know institutions are built on, um, because some of them are very specific. And I think there's going to be some you know non public school institutions that are going to bristle at some of these, you know. Um, but you yeah. know that's 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 not. Uh, our cross to bear that someone else's um but i think it's important work it's absolutely important work so here's we'll just i'm just going to go through the big competencies so competency one is reflecting on one's cultural lens so that's something that you know these competencies are asking for us as teachers to reflect on our own cultures and our backgrounds and Mm -hmm. to try to see how does that influence how we see what we do in the classroom and how we work with students yep you want me and to read how, number two? Yeah, you, you want to go back and forth? Sure. I don't care. Yeah. Um, so number two is identify, deepen understanding of, and take steps to address bias in the system. So obviously this one is talking about educational systems as a whole. So teaching materials, history of inequity. So these kinds of larger issues um, in terms of the how bias... Ha- 
occurs and is reinforced in the systems that currently exist. Yeah. And so those first two are really, you know, one's talking about themselves, one's looking at the, the actual system, but the third one shifts the, the into what's going on and specifically in the classroom. And right. I think that's an important shift yeah. is design and facilitate culturally relevant learning that brings real world experiences into educational spaces. Yep. I think that yep. could, that, they could have used probably like 25% less words there, but okay, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fewer words would have been cleaner there. And, and again, now they've got seven, six sub bullets underneath that, right. all, all of which have even more words than the original competency did. So all right. Next, next one. Number four is provide all learners with equitable and differentiated opportunities to learn and succeed. Yeah. And again, I think that, I mean, we, we can get behind competency three and four. I mean, we can get behind all of yeah. them. I'm not knocking, yeah. knocking any of them, but I think those are probably ones that are most actionable in terms of the stuff that's happening in the classroom. I think the the, the scholars who work in this space would say that we probably can't do the other ones unless we do one and two, right? They would certainly say, one, yeah. right? We have to do one in order to be able to, but but then in order to really have an impact, we can't just you know worry that's about true. the stuff, stuff that's happening in class as well. Yeah. You got to do two because it's it's a stem a systemic issue, right? There are b- bigger you know structures and systems in place that you know our impacts in our local classrooms are going to have very little overall impact unless we address some of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So competencies number five, provoke, promote asset-based perspectives and differences. About difference. About differences. Not, not, about, not and. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Asset-based differences. Uh, yeah. Asset-based perspectives about differences. Yeah. I yeah. think this is, this is really the one that I, I, I live in this. I love, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, asset-based thinking is so critical. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's one of those things where, Seeing the stuff that students bring to our classrooms, not as things that they have to overcome, but as something that we, okay, this is something that adds value to our classroom, could add, you know, contribute new perspectives to the conversations we, we, we have. That's yeah, it's awesome. That's a, that's a, that's a big one for me. Yep, for sure. And I think, you know, grounded in a lot of the stuff we've talked about before about AST and, and, and the science in the city cultural work. Okay, uh, competency six, collaborate with families and communities through authentic engagement practices. So this one is going to be, I mean, I think this was going to be tough and it's going to be tough on multiple levels, but I think, um, you know, this is one of the things that I don't think we do a good job in teacher ed uh, on, which is helping our students, priests pre-student teachers, interns, however you want to talk about them, um, figure out how to negotiate relationships with family. Now, sometimes they don't get access to the, to families and sometimes we can encourage them to do that kind of work. But, you know, as a high school teacher, I was astonished how infrequently I interacted with parents. Like you had parent teacher conference nights, but you know, you usually outside of that, the majority of when you interacted with parents was when something pretty bad was going on with the kid. Um, and so I think this question about how do you really authentically engage with families and communities is, is an interesting question for teachers, especially like if you don't live in the community, right? Cause there are teachers who, you know, I live in 
wherever. I live in State College, but I teach in Belfont. Or right. you know, I live in Harrisburg, but I teach in Upper Dauphin. And it's like, well, okay, so you don't even live in the community that you're teaching in. So that that pushes you to think about like, well, how do I think about engaging with that community in a different way? I have like the best example of this is my daughter's second grade teacher. Right. Okay. So this is this is it's brilliant. She li- she lives in the next town over, but it's within biking yeah. distance. That's an important part of the story. So she was her second grade teacher. And this is a, like a 25, 30 year veteran. She's retired now. Um, but in the summer before my daughter started second grade, she said she had contacted every single family of the second graders who were, she was going to have that fall. And she said, hey, uh, can I stop by? I want to drop off a book for your child before the start of school. Mm. So she biked. She she set up individual appointments with every single family. And she says, it's just going to be a half an hour. So she came to the house. Yeah, she she biked here with a big bag of books, right? She would buy a bike around the community, and then she came with a ba- big bag of books. And then she said, she sat down with my daughter and said, she said, pick a book. Mm, nice. And I'm like, when she did it, I was like, oh, this is so brilliant. Like it is yeah. like so brilliant because one, you know, she is coming to see, you know, she's really seeing the family environment. She's getting to see, you know, what right. what. And then not only that, but then she's also really assessing my daughter's reading level and interest. And yeah. I was like, boom, yeah. that was my first impression with her. I'm like, yeah. bravo, bravo, yeah. you well know? Done. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and what was the commitment? She's like, you know, probably 20 some students in that class and she, yeah. you know, got the bike around, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, it's For not her. even half, half a week's work in the summer. It's like yeah. 10 or 12 hours. But then think about all of that value it added to her classroom. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely, it did, and and to her ability to interact with those students as as human beings, as opposed to just kids that are in her class, right? Like she'd seen their homes, she knew where they lived, she knew right. she knew so much about them just from half an hour in their in their homes, right? Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, I was impressed. Yeah. yeah. Talk about asset mapping. Like we talk about that and, and there are activities that we do as students pre again, student interns, people who are learning to be teachers, like where they map asset map a community, but that's very, um, 10,000 foot view. Like this yeah. is really like, okay, go and visit your kids. Right. Um, that's, that's, I mean, the reality is, that's an elementary school thing that that would be much more difficult to accomplish at a secondary level. Cause if you've got 150 students, yeah. you know, half an hour with each of them now becomes a, a Herculean task, um, especially over the summer on a bicycle. But, um, <laughs> but, but it's a beautiful story. And I think it is really gets at the heart of what competency six is about. Yeah. It's a, an example. It's not the only yeah. example, right? right? It's an example of how to do that. I mean, yeah. and, and I think that um, there's probably a whole host of different ways you could do that. Well, but that I, just to point out the thing that I also really like about that is, is there's no assumptions about identity incorporated into that. Now, hopefully she had a whole bunch of ide- different identity possibilities in the books that she brought. I don't know sure. about that. That would be great. That would be a bonus. But but she's not saying like, oh, I'm only going to do this for my students who are fill in the blank, right? right? Like they're in some way identified as high need. She did this with all of her students because she's trying to understand all of them without making presumptions about need. All right. So the next one is is a uh, jumping back to the competencies is a mouthful. Competency yeah, is. seven. Well, I'm is glad a, you get to read this. Yeah, one. This should be fun. 
communicate in linguistically and culturally responsive ways that demonstrate respect for learners, educators, educational leaders, and families. Oh, Nailed it. I'm giving snaps here. I see oh, it. I see solid, it. Yeah, solid yeah. work. I didn't mispronounce anything. Not either. even linguistically, which is where I, I was waiting. I was waiting. You're That's like, like a bear trap for Ali. I know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> linguistically. Uh, nope. I'm, Nailed I, it. Yeah, I'm, I that that is one of the things I have to say that most people are. I well, I don't know, but I'm I'm assuming that most people when I'm, you know, fumble through words, which happens all the time, and I yeah. stutter a lot. Um, most people don't like. It doesn't seem to diminish their you know image of me as being somewhat no. you know somewhat you know capable, competent, <laughs> somewhat. Oh my god. Yeah, thanks. Speaking, thanks. speaking of thanks. competencies. Thanks. Has pre- the ability to read competencies <laughs> without fumbling over individual words. Nailed it. Woo. Yes. Woo. <laughs> well, there's I think that this is one that's like I guess you can demonstrate respect, you know? That's yeah. I it's just this has one of those ones in it. It has an honor in it. Like one of the sub ones is honor and respect the home language uh, of and their families, the home yep. language of learners and their families. And so there I was, you know, fumbling through yep. words. Yep. Um, but like, how do you like, I guess you can honor like, but how does that? Yeah, it's just a yeah, hard word. I for mean, me. yeah, it's, you know, again, I I think we're both agreeing like the the meaning of that statement. I I wholeheartedly agree with the meaning of that statement i think again the problem is like articulating it that way doesn't help me know how to do that right it just says like okay like just honor and respect the home language so what does that mean does that mean i let every kid talk in their home language all the time in class does that mean you know and that could be an answer like if depending on the kids you have and your ability linguistically that's a possibility but you know there's lots of ways to to meet that criteria um but because it's so high all of these things are so highly articulated the assumption is that there's a way to do this that is measurable that we all agree on and i think that's where it gets a little shaky yeah there's also a believe one in there too yeah. like believe that all learners have a choice and a right to practice the language of their culture i'm cool with you know that as a a standard to you know allow folks to participate in multiple ways in, in classrooms but to believe it like how do you like how do you measure belief and what 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 are we going to do when you know we interact with a, a teacher candidate who you know may say it but may not believe it and how do we what do we do with that like oh do you really believe it i mean right. I, I don't i just don't know how to i don't know how it's actionable for us as as teacher yeah. educators well know? there's a whole literature on teacher beliefs that basically i think the end product was like measuring teacher beliefs is not a particularly productive thing right because like the, yeah, because yeah, then you have to break it down. It's like, well, espoused beliefs versus inactive beliefs. Well, if 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 they're espoused beliefs, then they're not really beliefs if they're not enacted. Like if you don't if you don't treat children in your classroom like yeah. that, they have a choice and a right to practice lang- the the language of their culture. If you don't treat them that way, then believing that that's a thing that you should do doesn't mean anything. It just means it's what you say to your friends when you're not in class. So. I think, yeah, that that seems crazy to me, but okay. 
All right. You, you want to uh, jump on the next one? They probably got tired of all the verbs, right? That's why we're down here. We're getting honor and believe instead of just understand or reflect on, but maybe. Right. Okay. So number eight, we're almost done. Uh, establish high expectations for each learner and treat them as capable and deserving of achieving success. Okay. So for me, yeah, that feels a lot actually like the asset-based pedagogy piece. Sure. Um, I mean, maybe there's a differentiation there that's important that I, uh, that I haven't thought deeply about, but I do think this idea of like, yeah, they like your job is to help your kids succeed. So, um, you should treat them as if they're capable of it because otherwise you got a real problem. If your job is to help them succeed and you don't think they're capable of it, then, um, you're, you know, there's nowhere to go from there. Like you're gonna, you're not, you're not going to be a good teacher. Yeah. And and I think that one, like, I'll read one of this. This is uh, 8.D, 8, yeah, uh, CRSE 8.ED. It says, recognize and respect that learners have agency. That's a, that's a theme of the show and yeah. are capable of contributing to their own learning. So that's, you know, that's, you know, right on brand with what we, what we, you know, propose here, you right. know? Yeah, totally. But again, it's like, okay, what does that mean? Especially recognize and respect that learners have agency. I mean, this is not a, a, like on some level, it's like, well, why is that even a standard? Of course they have agency. Like all humans have agency. They may use that agency in ways that you don't find productive, but that doesn't mean they don't have agency. Like agency is not a thing that you give or take away. It's, It's inherent to the human condition. So, um, but I think contributing to their own learning. Yeah. I think that, that piece. That's important. Yeah. I mean, there. Uh, you know, the truth is like, like we're, we've been saying over and over again, like these things, these things that these words represent are important, but the question is, are they well represented with these words and do they help people who don't understand what these words mean to do these things in their classrooms? Well, and the next one right after that is establish authentic relationships with students, with learners. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, you know, on brand with us. Teaching is relational work. We we believe yeah. that, you know, but, you know, like saying that as a standard, oh, I didn't know to do that. Now I'm going to go out and start forming relationships because this competency measured that. It's like, that just sounds like good teaching. Well, you know? and it's not even relationships too, right? It's authentic. authentic. You have to really want to be friends with yeah. your kids or, or understand your kids or know your kids. Like you can't just pretend, Hey, uh, Ali, I've got this set of questions. I'm going to ask you about your life because I'm really interested in you as a person. So can yeah. you tell me like what, what's your favorite color and what bands do you listen to outside of class? And, uh, yeah. Like, I don't know how we like what how do we measure the authenticity of a relationship? Like I because I, I would love to know how to do that because I, no, I would love wouldn't. to. No, I probably wouldn't. You're right. <laughs> I'd be going around and using that metric all the time. Right. Oh, I got my authenticity <laughs> meter here and you are scoring low. <laughs> we need to talk. <laughs> The data is in, and you have not scored well. Yep. I could have a, have that conversation with my wife. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, no. sorry, that was oh. an inauthentic interaction. <laughs> All right, this is the last one, and it is a mouthful. Yeah, and again, oh. lucky us, Ollie gets it. <laughs> okay. Whew. All right, let's see if I can make it through. I don't think there's any 
two bad words in here. So. No, there's no no struggles in here. Yeah. It's just a lot of words. It's a and lot. lot. Lots of commas. Lots too. of opportunities <laughs> yes. for things there's to land, go wrong. There's a landmine in there, too. Educate oneself about microaggressions and their impact on diverse learners, educators, and families. And actively disrupt the practice by naming and challenging its use. Yeah. yeah, it got a little weird at the end. Not your reading, but the, right. but no, the phrasing. It's, the phrasing yeah, gets a little weird at the end. There. Yeah, it's the like not just disrupt, but actively disrupt. Like the like I, I yeah, have a, that that part I guess I sort of get. The thing I feel weird about is the end challenging its use. So what's the its in right? That what where, does that go to the microaggressions or challenging the disrupting, its... challenging the disruption, or challenging the naming? Uh, hmm. I I think it's the it goes back to microaggressions. That's the intent. Yeah, I understand, but challenging but, microaggressions. But its use is a weird way to talk about a microaggression. Like you don't yeah. use microaggressions. You r- microaggressions are things you say or say, do. Right. Anyway, we're yeah. not here to wordsmith these competencies. They exist yeah, these as- are they are out there. These are like part of the public record. They're out there, you know. And yes. it's yeah. I I have a I have a adverb bias have i mentioned this i have you a bias have. You're, yeah you're, have i mentioned it in the show yes you have but okay. but i think you should if you if you'd like to uh, name it again no well i have a bias against because I, I think that anytime people use an adverb they're communicating a bias because mm-hmm. they it's i mean by by its nature it's a modifier right mm-hmm. and, yes. and they modify verbs and so it's not just disrupt it's actively disrupt and so what they're they're saying is it's not enough to disrupt it but we want you to really disrupt it it's like okay well what do you try what's what is the writer trying to say with you you adding that modifier and it's it's always comes back to the writer trying to communicate some sort of bias so when i get like an email from somebody that has like a ton of adverbs in it i'm like Mm. okay this person is like really casting some shade you know, okay. I'm going to remember that. I'm going to start writing new emails with a lot of adverbs. In them. <laughs> You're really going to do this actively. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to actively engaging with you <laughs> with. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I got to look for that. Yeah. 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 So all all of you listeners out there who email me or text me, make sure you put some adverbs yeah. in there, some extra you, adverbs. Or if you're asking uh, chat GPT to write an email for you, just uh, say add lots of extra adverbs. Do you, do you think folks are familiar with microaggressions? Like, I, I mean, I, I know we are because we've had training at um, both of our institutions around microaggressions. Yeah. And I would assume like most institutions now have some sort of DEI initiatives that there's, you know, um, diversity, uh, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion efforts mm-hmm. at their um, whatever they because I think this is pretty widely, you know, uh, initiatives. These are, you know, wide, right. you know. In especially, all... especially since the death of George Floyd, I think there's been a huge sure. push on on these issues. Yeah, I think it's worth at least talking about. I mean, it, essentially, I'll take a whack, and then you can you can. Well, they they define it in in the comments. Oh, that's right, they do. Right. Yeah, so it's, uh, they define it as a comment or action that subtly and oftenly, often unconsciously or unintentionally expresses a prejudiced attitude toward a member of a marginalized group. Mm-hmm. From MiriamWebster.com. Sure. Just why not? But yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I think um, you know, a lot of 
yeah, we we literally just had another microaggression training um, here. Uh, and I do, yeah, I mean, I do wonder sometimes who those are for when they're having them with folks like us, but, um, but the, but, you know, things like, um, you're pretty good at that for a girl, um, being a really obvious one, right. Things like mispronouncing a kid's name repeatedly, even if they've told you how to pronounce it and you're just keep mispronouncing it. Yeah. Or Um, even saying something like, you know, I, I, uh, I really struggle, you know, with, those funny names, you know, right, it's like, right, right. like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, do you have an I, American name? Because some people yeah. have an American name. So can you give me your like, your, right. or maybe I can just give you an American name, right? I'm just going to call you George from now on, from now on. No, yeah. I don't want to call you Sung Ho because that that's hard for me to say. So I'm just going to call you, call you Sean, <laughs> Sean. It sounds right. It sounds really similar, right? Right. <laughs> you don't mind if I call you. Yeah, I think that's a that's a macro aggression. Yeah, I was going to say that that one might be a little more <laughs> macro scale to, to rename a child because you don't want to pronounce yeah. a name. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, touching people's hair or bodies Ooh, for whatever yeah. reason. That's Look a, at your hair; it's so beautiful. Yeah, can I yeah. touch it? Like, yes. no, that's my, no, it, no. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, so. I think. Well, yeah, we've kind of gone long with this, but I, I, I think we probably should spend a little more time maybe next episode, maybe uh, talking about how this can be incorporated in a science classroom. I mean, we did yeah. spend, um, you know, several episodes talking about science in the city, which, you know, is a way of incorporating this. But AST, you know, ambitious science teaching is one of the foundational things is equity. It's built on equity. And so there is, I mean, the intent with it is uh, how to incorporate these things without necessarily saying, hey, this practice is culturally responsive and, and sustaining. It, it is doing that, right? I mean, that's the intent. Yeah. Um, so it's not calling it out specifically. It is in an, uh, it is a way to incorporate equity or be mindful of equity in, in a science classroom, but it's not the only way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I mean, and I think, you know, one way to think about this is um, that, you know, in many respects, not every, many of the episodes of this program have talked about aspects of this, right? It's just not articulated in this particular way. So, you know, when we talk about we can get behind this, it's not just that we can get behind this. These are the kinds of things that we see as central to the way that we think about science teaching. So these are not things that need to be layered on top of, of science teaching practices. These are built into good science teaching practices, right? You know, when we say teaching is relational, at least part of what we mean by that is all of this, is that teaching is about relationships with your kids. And and I think the the thing that they're calling out here is that you sometimes have to make a special effort to have relationships with kids who have differences from you because there is a there is a cultural difference between you and that requires work, right? Like, it, and that the extreme version of that being somebody who doesn't speak the same language as you do, because there there's all sorts of, of yeah. um, difficulties bridging that. But even just like people who grew up in different parts of the country, there are cultural bridges there that need to be negotiated. And that is part of what your job as a teacher is, is to understand those differences as best you can and to try and not see those as, again, differences that make those people less than, but the, those differences as as differences that can contribute richness to the classroom. So that that's, I think we, we talk about versions of that all the time. 
Absolutely. And, and, and while I think that, you know, you and I being two old white guys, you know, with, you know, with pretty privileged backgrounds, um, I mean, you and I are still working on it. Right. I think that, then that's the important message is that, you know, this isn't necessarily a destination. It's a process that you always are working on. You're always attending to that. You're always like, you know, confronting your own biases and confronting your own, you know, backgrounds and perspectives and saying, okay, because the, the, the reality is that, like you said, you know, if you work with, you know, a student of whatever group, right, of, you know, a group of, you know, from different abilities or different backgrounds in, in terms of culture, whatever, every single student is different. And so, you know, you never know when that's going to pop up again, that it's going to be something that you have to confront new because it's going to yeah. be like, and that's the part where it's, it's, it's constant work. And, but I, I mean, for me, I, I enjoy that kind of work. I enjoy that kind of reflection and that self, you know, self-improvement because I'm trying to, you know, we're all trying to be the best versions of ourselves. You know, at least that's what I think. Yeah, uh, for sure. And I, and I do, and I think, you know, that's why it's important to not see this as, as tied to specific identity markers, right? Because right. I do think, you know, when you're, if you're working in a classroom in rural Pennsylvania, you've got kids in your class that all superficially look pretty similar. There's a huge range of experience and culture in that classroom. And, and that can be because of poverty. It can be because of language. It can be because of all sorts of things, ability. So, um, so having conversations with your kids, getting to know them and using those assets as, um, how you, how you think about your science classroom and how you think about your science teaching. I mean, that's, again, as you said, that's just good teaching. It's not some weird thing that you have to layer on top of your teaching. It's, it's the core of what good teaching is. Yeah. All right. Well, in next episode, we'll spend a little more time talking about it or some episode some down the road. Yeah. Episode, Maybe next yeah plus yeah. plus n yeah plus yeah. n nice <laughs> all right do you have some joys there my friend um i think you should go first because i've i had a joy and now it's gone out of my head so you're going to remember and that's going to help me remember yes so it is uh it's march it's the first uh oh. you know second day of march oh, I, I, I one of that so oh. march brings a lot of things some mm. of it's you know basketball we could talk about basketball showers down yeah um yeah in like a lion out like a lamb or whatever yeah. or uh-huh. vice versa um my favorite part about march is it's always it's academy award season you know oscars oh, and so this yeah. is like you have to understand when it, when the list comes out with the academy award nominations i basically it's like a guide for movie watching so i just like because there are movies that are on that list that i'm like i've never heard of this movie yeah. you know one of which i want to share here called causeway yeah. all right all right have you ever heard Causeway? No, I have not. Neither did I. Um, so one of the actors in the movie is Brian Tyree Henry. Oh, sure. I know yeah. him. Yes. So he was in Bullet Train. Yeah. He's the if you, this fantastic. Is, oh, I have I do know what Causeway is now. Carry on. So it's uh, Jennifer um, Lawrence. Yes. Lawrence, yeah. Okay. Why? Why she didn't get an Academy Award nomination for this? I have no idea. Why this movie is not up for more awards? I have no idea, yeah. because it is. It's so good. Um, it is. is it's real. Like, well, it's actually really nicely connected to stuff we're talking about with the CRC stuff. Is because it's all about trauma, mm. and it's about like how do we react to trauma and how to. So it's it's about two people jennifer lawrence who's you know a a uh, a veteran or actually she's this uh a, a service person she's um i think she's in the army and she uh works for the army corps of engineers and 
is involved in an explosion. She has to go through rehabilitation because she had some cognitive um, difficulties and all this. And so she has to move back home with her, her mom. And there's all this relationship issues there that are going on, but then she's like trying to recover. And then she's, you know, um, meets Brian Tyree Henry and their relationship um, is complicated and complex and, and, at times endearing and sometimes not it's it's really really good mm. um and it's it's a short movie it's like maybe an hour and a half and that's short for movies now yeah. um but it's so good it is like yeah and at the end it's just like why isn't why aren't more people watching this movie why isn't this a conversation like yeah. that you know yeah it's it's great cosplay yeah, it's on well. it's on apple tv plus right now so you can watch it for free if you have that just go check it out yeah, yeah. That's cool. Have you seen yeah, it? I have not, but it's it is on my list now that now that you described it. I didn't remember the title of it, but I remember um, seeing the movie and see, seeing a trailer for the movie and saying, "Wow!" And Brian Tyree Henry, man, that guy. Yeah, He's, and well, obviously Jennifer Lawrence is no such either. I think she already has an Academy Award, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. She so, does. But but but, but it's like is... yeah. Well, like yeah, I have no like I don't know how many people are talking about this movie, so I don't know. Like how, because a lot of this is, you know, these are, it's a voting process, right? Yeah. So awareness is critical, like, and people being aware that the, like of his acting in this is just, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So good. Good one. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to recommend one just because it's in my head. I don't know that it's not quite as uh, powerful as your example, but, um, but, uh, I have been repeatedly being been told by multiple people. I don't think you're one of them, at least on this podcast, but we'll find out because I'm about to recommend something that's already in its third seasons, but uh, we just started watching the first season, um, which is Jack Ryan on um, Amazon. Prime. Uh-huh. So um, I, I'm really enjoying it. I mean, it's very different to the Jack Ryan of the, the movies. Um, so if you remember back, with I think it's Harrison Ford. I well, there have been remember. multiple actors who've That's played. That's true, right? I think Alec Baldwin was. Alec Baldwin did it. Yeah. So Harrison then, Ford did it. That's what that was the first one I said. Harrison Ford. Ben, and ben Affleck was was one oh, too. That's right. He was one too. So and this I, there is, might have been one more too. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm gonna, is, uh, Well, and while you're doing that, look up John's. Oh, what's his name? Krasinski. Krasinski, right? Yeah. He's from The Office, and then directed those quiet movies. Um, and anyway, he's Jack Ryan. Um, they changed the story a little bit in the original books and in those original movies. Jack Ryan is like this sort of nerdy bookish person who's, um, you know, an analyst for the CIA and gets put into the field, and you know, then does fine. This this one. Um, Jack Ryan has a history in the military. He was in the service before he goes back to be an analyst and he's got other history in there too, but it's good. It's not, it's not like mind blowing television. It's not going to make you rethink the way the world works, but it's, it's, uh, it's good. And it's, um, it's an interesting sort of problem, at least in the first season, like what they're grappling with is, is really interesting. Um, uh, 
it's so I think and it and it gets at some of the issues actually that we've been talking today about, which, you know, this is about a couple of uh, Muslim kids who are raised in France and are very well educated and then are not really allowed to participate in France uh, at the level of education that they should be able to because they're because they're Muslim and um, they look different. And so this leads to sort of the radicalization, first the imprisonment and then the radicalization of, of one of these, these guys. And that's sort of the premise of the, of, of the people who are up against Jack Ryan. So um, it's, you know, it's interesting. I won't say it's super nuanced, but it's, uh, but it's a good sort of action adventure thing. If you're just looking for something that's not, um, that doesn't require a lot of deep thought. Five actors have played Jack Ryan. Five. Five. Right. I would have never, I've seen the, like, I've seen all five of them, but I would have forgotten the fifth one. So okay. Alec Baldwin was in yeah. the first one with for, Hunt for Red uh, October. Hunt for Red October. And then it was uh, Harrison Ford, and he did yeah. Clear and Present Danger. Yeah. And he also did Patriot Games. Great right. books, by the way. Those yeah. are great books. Then, um, then it was uh, Ben Affleck who yep. did okay. Some of All Fears. Yep. And then Chris Pine. Chris Pine. Yeah, he's, uh, I, I know he, who I know exactly who Chris Pine is. I do not remember him being in a Jack Ryan movie, but maybe Shadow not. Recruit. Oh God, no! Yeah. Idea. I don't think yeah. I've ever even heard of that movie. I okay. I've actually seen that movie because really? I'm like I I've read almost all of these books or at least all yeah, like I've I've read a bunch uh, of them. Yeah, because it's like Recruit. this is like my yeah this is like my wheelhouse of books, right? Yeah, this is yeah. like absolutely. And then John Krasinski, and I don't know if many of those are actually based on books. You know, the crazy. No, I don't. I think I think they basically it's like Star Wars now. So it's like its own universe. So they've yeah. just taken Jack Ryan and sort of made him in hey, Star Wars probably isn't the right example. But, you know, like they they're always like, yeah, we're just not worrying about the fact that there were these other things and that he in the original books, he wasn't really a, a fighter, he, you know, in, in these books, which is different no than the Jack Reacher, that. the Jack Reacher book uh, books. I mean, the series, they're basing them on books. Right? Especially the television series, yeah. yeah. I I think the movie the movies were mostly too, but the but the television series is much more explicitly um, drawing from the books. Yeah. So, especially with the character. But yeah, I mean, I think Jack if you have a choice, see Causeway. Causeway. Um, but if but if you don't want if you don't want the uh, emotional and intellectual work of seeing Causeway, then you know Jack Ryan's available. I could have just an Academy Award episode where we talk about like what what ones I want to see win, which ones I don't, which ones I really enjoyed. It could be a viewing guide, a viewing guide with Ollie. You okay. Know? It seems like maybe that could be like a Patreon bonus episode. It could be. Thing a... <laughs> where, because it doesn't our... seem exactly on brand. We don't yeah. have a Patreon. We don't. Uh, we, we don't have, have a notion of bonus episodes, but... No. But we could develop that as a side project. Yeah, like yeah. people care what what I think about movies. Who knows? Well, I mean, you know, yeah. they're here. Who knows? Yeah, they're not here to hear about your movies. I don't think, but maybe, maybe they are. Maybe they're just waiting. When is the episode where Ollie will finally break down all the Academy Awards for me and really tell me <laughs> what the deal is? Well, uh, they'll we'll leave them guessing. Well, you know? we will, as always. We, <laughs> we always leave them guessing for different reasons. <laughs> like, are they really going to do another episode? Are they? <laughs> are they actually PhDs? 
Are they actually <laughs> science teachers? Yeah. Yes. Yes, we are. And there will yeah. be another episode. There yeah. will. And, and and we'll catch you next time. In between. See you then. <laughs> Bye now. Bye <laughs> now.